P.T. Anderson rolls off the tongue. It does. It's a good mouthfeel. <laughs> uh, Paul W.S. Anderson is just so awkward and clunky to say. W is too many syllables. Too many That's syllables. the problem. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. We're back with yet another 90s action movie, although this one... <sighs> Spooky. Yeah, that's right. This is our special Halloween episode. Ooh. Ooh. And so we're bringing you a haunted spaceship. <laughs> And it's exactly as scary as that was. It really is. We're talking about Event Horizon, the the 1997 film. Cult horror space film. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say like cult classic, because I, I don't really hear people talk about this movie that much. It has actually gained sort of a, a minor cult following in the years since its release. Was that cult following earned or not? Keep listening to my <laughs> For me, no. I had not seen this movie. Steve was like, well, we should do something scary for Halloween. And I'm a giant baby. So I was like, uh, well, okay, I guess. The tagline of Haunted Spaceship is actually pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, all right, this could be fun. This could be, this could be a lot of fun. And it just wasn't. <laughs> well, all right. So before we get into all that, I feel like we should do a plot recap of Event Horizon. In case it's been a while. Because uh, for me, it had been. I hadn't seen this probably since like uh, home video sometime around 99, 2000, Whoa. maybe. Uh, I saw this when I wasn't really supposed to. And we can get into the backstory uh, of that <laughs> later on. Event Horizon is about a rescue ship that is sent out to the upper atmosphere of Neptune, where it intercepts the Event Horizon, a spaceship that has been missing for seven years. It, it disappeared <laughs> in space and no one has seen or heard from it in seven years until now when it mysteriously reappears. The crew, led by their captain, Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> has an extra crew member, Sam Neill, who is the scientist, engineer, creator, creator of the Event Horizon. He designed the ship. And what makes the Event Horizon special is that it has a special gravity drive that opens a wormhole and allows it to travel seemingly faster than light speed, where it can traverse great distances, basically by folding space-time. So it's basically just, you know, a tesseracting from a wrinkle in time. Yeah, this is not a particularly original concept, and that's not a ding. That's totally fine, yeah. Contact had done it the same year. Yeah. Interstellar did it years later. There's a bunch of other movies that have the same general premise because there is some science to suggest like some... Or at least some math. There's some theoretical <laughs> math to suggest that it could be possible to create a wormhole that allows interstellar travel. And so, basically, they turned on the gravity drive and... It seemed to work in that the ship disappeared from its current spot, but then it didn't go to where it was supposed to and it just disappeared entirely. Now it's back. The crew goes on to the event horizon to find some gruesome sort of gory, bloody remains, and remains. Uh, from the original crew. They find some like audio and video that they can't quite see, see or hear yet. exactly what's happening, but it doesn't sound or look very good. That's for sure. And then over the course of the film, the new crew, the rescue crew, starts dropping like flies, either dying or interacting with horror elements that are based on their fears. So it's kind of based on personal experience. Sam Neill, for example, keeps seeing his dead wife who took her own life and he feels guilt about that. Yeah. And so she keeps popping up. She doesn't have any eyeballs. There's a lot of guilt in this movie, actually. It's a very Catholic movie. And Everyone's hallucinations seem to be based in guilt. There's a crew member who left her son who seems to have some sort of degenerative leg condition. Yeah, like a flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah, something like something. that. But he 
he's in a wheelchair on Earth. She feels guilt about leaving him to come to space. Lawrence Fishburne feels guilty about leaving one of his former crew members to die during a, a, a different mission. Space catastrophe. Uh, so everyone's got everyone's got a lot of guilt yeah. here. And I think we'll we'll kind of have Catholic corner. Well, with, we sure will <laughs> with you later on to discuss that. These crazy events start happening. People start hallucinating and seeing things, and then eventually dying. The rescue ship is damaged by an explosion on the event horizon, and they have to fix the ship. They only have 20 hours before they run out of oxygen. They fix the ship, finally, and they're about to escape, and then Sam Neill, who has gone mad, mad, (laughs) sabotages the rescue ship and blows it up, tries to keep everybody on the event horizon to send it back into the dimension that it found. And what dimension is that, you might ask? It's hell. (laughs) That's right. The ship went to hell. And and so Sam Neill has, uh, needs a new crew on the event horizon to go back to hell. And it's a, sort of a face-off as he kind of picks off the rest of the crew who's still alive until Lawrence Fishburne has to fight him uh, along with Stark. the uh, Jolie, uh, Jolie Richardson. Jolie Richardson. They end up killing Sam Neill sort of anticlimactically in a weird way. It is. He just gets sucked off. <laughs> Uh, he just gets sucked off into space, but he does. He does return. Oh in the end. yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. But it is. It is. It does. I don't know, man. It's a little weird. Lawrence Fishburne sacrifices himself in order to rescue the two remaining crew members. Who he blows. He he blows, blows Sam Neil. Sam Neil off of the 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 event horizon can be blown into two pieces, mm-hmm. and so the. Mm-hmm escape pod part of the ship gets to go off and be rescued by another rescue crew while Lawrence Fishburne condemns himself to, I don't know, an eternity of misery and torture, I guess, at the hands of Sam Neill. Yeah, there's some some pretty dark implications there that he goes to hell Mm -hmm. with Sam Neill. So that's a bummer for him. More like heaven. Heyo. With Sam Neill, baby. And that's kind of the end of the movie. There's a quick little fake out where Stark wakes up and it's actually Sam Neill, but then that was just her Mm -hmm. hallucinating and then it's fine. Kind of nice, though, that it's uh, Jolie Richardson's character and... Richard T. Jones's character, Cooper. uh, Who is a black man. So in a... Like, this movie has two black men... (laughs) In space, and only one of them dies. That's actually pretty solid. And not until the end. Right? I think that's pretty cool. Especially for the 90s. Right? Although, you know, that the character Cooper is, ah, it's a thankless role that's, you know, used for comic relief in a... It's this movie has tone issues. Yeah, it's got big tone issues. Poor, Poor Cooper is... Like you said, comedy relief, but also in that sort of jive talking. Yeah, you, know, like, you could tell that no black person was actually involved in the writing of the dialogue. Yeah, it's definitely clunky and and very nineties. Very nineties. Very nineties. Like, like I said, I had watched this movie as a kid, uh, kind of a tween, and I watched it because my older sisters had rented it on VHS, but I was not allowed to watch it. So I watched it from the other room. Oh, my God. Uh, Like from our dining room, I could see into the living room. Uh, So I was kind of watching from the dining room slash kitchen area into the living room and was just titillated by the fact that I wasn't (laughs) supposed to be there. Of course. You know, my older sisters were watching. It's an R-rated movie. There there are boobs. There is gore. There are swears. Uh, Like it it earns its R rating. It does. To its credit. It does. And so that stuck with me as like, I got away with something. I got to see some boobs and space titties, space titties. And uh, so it left an impression. And I remember, you know, this movie does not to this day have a good Rotten Tomatoes score or a general (laughs) critical reception. Mm -mm. But I, I had sort of a fond memory of it. And I was excited to watch it again. And uh, it's an interesting one because all the elements are there to be a great kind of sci-fi classic, but it doesn't gel. No, it doesn't come together. None of the elements are actually executed well. And what's amazing to me, what's what's really telling is, Steve, when you're doing your sort of plot recap, so much of that was about 
the lead up to the actual start of the movie, like explaining the event horizon, what it is and that it, you know, is going to another place and it disappears and it comes back after seven years. And to me, that's indicative of maybe the movie's biggest problem foundationally uh, is that it's telling the wrong story. The actual interesting story here is that of the disappearance and reappearance of the event horizon and the people on the ship. And it would be a very easy thing to fix in the script stage to have the bulk of the action take place on the event horizon on its maiden voyage. You can have Sam Neill there as the as the creator of the ship. You can have Lawrence Fisher. You can have literally every single person that you already have cast in the movie and just have them go the hell that it seems like they went to uh, is a very Catholic seeming hell. They speak Latin. Well, so let's maybe just jump right into Catholic corner. Here. <laughs> so you were raised Catholic. I was. Uh, I was not. I was agnostic Unitarian, I guess. <laughs> Woo! Uh, no commitment there. Zero. Zero <laughs> commitment. Uh, so I never had that reading of this movie. And even now, until you said it, that would have never occurred to me. So what makes this movie have sort of that Catholic angle? Well, first, there's definitely the guilt. The guilt is guilt is essential to Catholicism as a religion. You should feel bad about everything all the time. And that has had no effect on, on my life I at all. I've never picked up on that. <laughs> that's actually the, the thing about it that's like good. That actually does work. Guilt is a very powerful motivator. So that's fine. But you know, the Catholic concept of hell is very, very old school. Dante Alighieri is the one who kind of really crystallized hell as, you know, fire and levels and all sorts of stuff. And you don't see that exactly in Event Horizon, but there is a lot of fire and a lot of torture and a lot of the torture that we see is very old. There's like barbed wire and maggots and all sorts of stuff. The Catholics don't have a, a patent on on torture. My, I'm reading a book about the Romanovs and holy shit, the torture that the Russians just loved to do all the time. And they're, you know, orthodox, my God. But so you have this very old school, you have lots of talk about like demons and supernatural forces that I think simply does not fit with the modernist sci-fi vibe that you're going for. Like the the horror inherent in, in space is the horror of the vacuum, of the void. Whereas hell in Catholicism is chock full of stuff <laughs> that is scary, but is knowable, you know? Yeah. And it brings up a really good point that you made while we were watching it, which is that this is one of very few movies where you can say it does too much showing. Yeah, so much showing. And it could actually stand to do a little bit more just telling. There's so many visuals, so many like fast flashes to some mm -hmm. horrible torture being meted out. Yeah. It removes a lot of the tension because mm -hmm. you're, you're just seeing it. Like, obviously, this movie owes a lot to Alien. And to its credit, its production design is pretty good. Yeah. It looks, both the Event Horizon and the rescue ship, the um, Lewis and Clark, mm -hmm. both look really good. They're definitely pulling from Alien. What made Alien so great was how long it took to see the alien yeah. as the full xenomorph, mm -hmm. you know, once it had kind of grown and, and was stalking all the crew down, you only saw flashes of it. And when you did see it, it was terrifying. But it, it was that lack of seeing it that was so scary. Same thing in Jaws. And this movie doesn't seem to understand that Less core is more concept of horror. horror. Yeah. You know, it's got these this dark ship with this good production design. Everything looks really cool and, and spooky. Yeah. But then, like... In spite of that, it doesn't really land its scare. The timing seems to be off in every element. You will have someone who will be approaching a jump scare. Yeah. You know, you, we all know that that's what's going to happen. And the score will create this rhythm. There will be this sort of pounding it's very rhythmic and you're like, okay, but there's something missing. Like the lights are not flashing in accordance with 
the beats of the score. It's little things like that that just, it just doesn't gel. So the scene that I remember most vividly from when I first saw it was Sam Neill in The Matrix. Like, Yeah, he's totally in The Matrix. He, Sam Neill has crawled into this crawl space by the core of the ship to fix something. Yeah, and it's all motherboards and they're all glowing green. Again, they, great. Look, they look great. It looks great. And then the lights start going out and he's in this confined space. He's already said he's claustrophobic. Like, it's a good build. It feels like some big scare is coming. You're, you're getting ready for it. it. Here it comes. And then it just lands with a thud when it's, you know, the lights all go out. And then they come on and it's his dead wife again without her eyes. And it's sort of like, oh. Yeah, which is fascinating. I think it is a mix of like the music isn't isn't quite, quite, it's not the right tone of music. Like there's not the slow droning build that a good horror film needs. It doesn't quite sync up with the lights. And then like, she's not scary enough. No, she isn't. She's just some lady. I will say this, the, the effect of her eyes missing, like of the missing eyeballs is very good. Like makeup in this is pretty good, but it's not scary for some reason. Once you, and this is the, the problem of the continual showing because at first when we get a flash. Sam Neill sees his dead wife in the like bridge of the of the rescue ship uh, during like a dream when they're in stasis, which they all call stasis. Oh yeah, which is just like what? So he's in a dream and he sees her, and it's it is kind of a like ooh, but then they just keep doing that and it loses its power almost immediately because yeah. it is only just a woman with some blank well, eye sockets. She doesn't really do anything until the very end where she gouges his eyes out, but he's actually gouging he's his the own one, eyes yeah. out. And again, like his makeup after this, the, the prosthetics look really good. He's scary looking. And, yeah. you know, I think this movie owes a huge debt of gratitude to both Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne uh, yes. for just try, trying their best. Like they're, they're delivering their lines to the best of their abilities. They're both fantastic actors they almost managed to pull it off so close but then there's these moments where there's lines of dialogue where there just shouldn't be that it's constant cooper has has this moment where something drips on him and it's blood it's clearly blood yeah uh it's a red substance and he goes blood and it's like we don't need that please please do not condescend to me in this way that actually sounded like it was adr it didn't quite sound like he was which saying you know that's studio interference the audience isn't going to get it and it could be so all right that's actually a good opportunity to address the fact that there is supposedly some mythical director's cut of event horizon and i was looking into it after we watched it because i'd heard rumors of it yeah it doesn't seem like there actually is a director's cut. There was talk of one. Same thing with like all the people who were claiming there was a Snyder cut. So we got to release the Anderson cut. <laughs> uh, from what I could tell, there was talk of a director's cut because the movie, although it bombed in theaters, it ended up doing very well on home video, first on VHS and then on DVD. And Paramount wanted a sequel or a director's cut something just to milk this, yeah. this cash cow. But it never ended up happening for, you know, a number of reasons. Things don't happen all the time. Yeah. What I read was basically that the only difference was that Anderson wanted to make the film gorier and, and kind of more torture porn-ish. So all the, the quick flashes of torture that we get in this movie are very fast. They're either done as like sort of a hallucination mm. or a quick video clip on, uh, you know, Not on the a, monitor yeah. that they're seeing. You don't really get any really long shots of yeah. any of these, and that's fine. Yeah, that's the kind of restraint you, you, you kind want. of need. Yeah, And so for the fact that Anderson was like so the problem here is that it's not gory enough. I wanted to just really lean into these big gore. We shot all this gore stuff and yeah. I really wanted to lean into that. It reiterates the fact that Paul W.S. Anderson is in fact a bad director. <laughs> I know it's very popular these days to kind of have a contrarian take yep. about some much maligned um, actually, director. Actually, it's amazing. So lately... 
M. Night Shyamalan got a lot of press on Twitter. I don't know if he's just got like a good PR agency or something, but people, I saw multiple people talking about, actually, he's good. And then (laughs) Old came out and it was fucking terrible. You know, it's a good meme, but that a good meme does not make a good movie. No. I've also heard some people talk about how Paul W.S. Anderson is a good director and Event Horizon is a good movie, actually. And I am here to say, like, sometimes we were right. You know, (laughs) the Star Wars prequels were bad. Event Horizon is a mess of a movie. It has good elements. Like, it's got all the fixins for a good, schlocky, fun, sci-fi space horror movie. Even not schlocky, if you want. Sure, but it never gels. And that's because the director of the movie isn't very good. He doesn't have a good sense of his craft. And that comes through in the editing. And like, yes, Paramount took the movie away from him and re-edited it. And maybe some good parts were lost in that. We'll never know. Yeah. But they might have also been right. Sometimes studios are actually right. I know that's like heresy to say. But every once in a while, yeah. The best example I can think of is Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. So the original Donnie Darko I saw in high school and I was in love with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was huge. Oh, my God. I think most of us of this age saw Donnie Darko either in high school or college, and it was very formative. It it was a great movie. It still is a great movie, but it never really made a lot of sense, but that felt intentional. Mm. And then I remember they released the director's cut of Donnie Darko, and I saw it in a theater. I was so excited. Yeah. And it fucking sucks. It was nowhere. (laughs) If you've seen it, like, it explains everything. And you realize that it's just a Jesus allegory, and it's boring and... Mm over long and just just a slog to get through it takes so long so a longer version of event horizon does not mean it's a better version of event horizon no there are some directors even great directors can get lost way up their own asses apocalypse now redux being a great example you don't necessarily need every frame of film that was shot to be in your movie. So I don't know if Paramount like really slaughtered the edit here. Right. But it doesn't feel like Paramount would have gone in and changed the jump scares to make them worse. Right. And or the like the dialogue, you know, there's some weird ADR, but well, the very ending, Cooper's Cooper's very clear ADR, like that was not the final shot of the film. No. So, yes, there is a lot of that. That is clearly studio interference. But but a lot of the dialogue is just bad. There's all these moments where like we are in a horror movie and it do- that doesn't mean there can't be any humor or anything, but there's this really tense moment where they're trying to pull these like tubes of, I don't know, oxygen? I think it was oxygen, yeah. oxygen tubes. Yeah, oxygen tubes so they can carry them to the other ship so they can, you know, escape and breathe in the ship. And it's really tense because this this woman is like trying to get this sort of last one out and the guy is like, no, fuck it, we need to go now. And then she like finally gets it loose and is like, got it. And it's just like, what? What? <laughs> what is this? It's a combination of just like unnecessary dialogue and dialogue delivered in just a, a totally tonally dissonant way. Well, and Cooper, I think, again, being comic relief, fundamentally misunderstands that the comedy can exist and can come from the situation, but it can't be every single line. Right. Like if Cooper's got some funny lines here and there. Especially towards the beginning when the, the uh, like danger has not. Right. And he's not that funny. In, um, he well, isn't. None of it's that funny. Well. But like what is clearly supposed to be a funny line delivery, those don't really happen that much in the beginning of no. the movie. But then it, it increases. Like there's more comedic line delivery. Yeah. As the horror increases, and it's like, no, 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 that's something that should kind of go by the wayside as he his life is in danger. That's weird, man. You can't have all of his lines be comedy, but only have that start at like the third act. Yeah. This movie clearly does not know what it actually wants to be. And that's, again, the other foundational problem, I guess, of this movie. The first is that it tells the wrong story. And the second is that what is this movie? Clearly, Paul W.S. Anderson wanted it to be a sort of Saw. I know Saw hadn't come out in 97, but like, you know, sort of 
precursor to torture porn, like Hellraiser on a on a spaceship kind of thing. Clearly, clearly, like going off the back of this sort of satanic panic that had swept the nation, unfortunately. all the rage. The kids love it. <laughs> oh boy, sure did. Speaking of, listen to the You're Wrong About episode on the Satanic Panic. It's great. Finally, You're Wrong About is going to blow up because it got, <laughs> it got the mission recall bounce. Tens of people might go listen to it now. But it's that sort of Hellraiser, Satanic Panic type thing where you go really old school with the torture porn and the blood. But then there's a lot of space horror as well. Like, you know, oh my God, we can't breathe. <laughs> like We can't breathe. There are airlocks being blown out. Like people are getting thrown out into space. A body is floating around and then they turn on the gravity and it splatters all over the place. That's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of elements there that could be very cool and are cool sort of by themselves, but they just don't all fit together. So the whole thing is like, oh, this ship is alive. It's like imbued with evil. And it's like, so who sent the ship back and why? And why is it now going back to hell? They needed a new crew? Why? If you're in hell, you're already dead and eternal suffering. Like, why do you need more? Nothing is ever made actually clear. It's so shaggy dog. Like everyone's stories are so separate from each other's that nothing coheres, whereas with a movie like Alien, very clearly understand what the xenomorph wants, which is to just fuck Eat. shit up just hungry. and reproduce. That's it. That's all. It's very relatable. <laughs> Not the reproduction part, but like, you know, eating and fucking shit up. I get it. I'm, I'm on board. But I don't know what the ship... If the ship wants people to go to hell with it, but why? It already yeah. had people in hell with it. You're going to go there when you die, like in theory. Yeah. So it doesn't need a another crew. And if it does need another crew, it probably should stop killing everyone. I, 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 don't, I don't understand the metaphysics here. You know, and I think we're at risk of, of reading too much into a, a space horror movie. Like, the in essence, the movie is, what if a ship's vibes are fucked? Yeah, which I'm on board with. But you are right that... It brings up too many questions that it can't or won't answer. Exactly. And again, maybe some of them do get answered in a longer edit. Maybe Paramount did cut out some of that stuff, but I don't think it cut out all of it. So much of the sort of clunky ADR is there to hold the viewer's hands. I have to believe that if they had a solid explanation, it would have just been ADR. Cooper would have just off screen said like, oh, the hell needed the ship to Bring more people in yeah. to set up hell too. <laughs> Super hell. Right? <laughs> the suburbs. <laughs> that is hell. That is hell. So you're right in that like in Alien, it's incredibly simple and it doesn't need to be more complicated. Weird Alien gets on ship, fucks everybody up. Very the straightforward. End. And at first blush, ship accidentally goes to hell. That's a good premise mm-hmm. that I want to see. But like, okay, the ship came back. Why did it come back? It wants to go back to hell. Why does it want to go back right? to hell? It wants a crew. For what? For to, what, to exactly? what end? There's too much going on where I think your original pitch of just go to hell the first time. Yeah. Like we And not and not not Catholic hell, but space hell where I honestly super like hell. if you did like Hill House but on a spaceship kind of like that would be kind of cool. Everyone, or The Shining on a spaceship. Like, whatever. I'm here for that. Yeah, and this movie pulls a lot of references from other movies, including a big one from The Shining. Shining. That no doesn't work for no reason, reason at all. Yeah. If they had done, I know that they couldn't really replicate water in space with the CGI at the time, so I'm glad they didn't do this. But, like, if they had done water in space floating around instead of just splashing onto the ground like it does in The Shining. That might have been kind of cool if you could pull it off and make it look good, which they could not. So I don't know. That's a long way of saying I'm glad they didn't do that. But like apparently the script was originally pitched as Haunted House Spaceship, which is good. Again, it's just Hill House on a spaceship. Like, you know, people gradually going insane from keep the guilt. 
I'm totally on board with keeping the guilt. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it is one of those, like, the unknown is terrifying. And also, like, hell is what you bring with you on, on this kind of thing. And it's sort of whatever they encounter, the void, uses their own fears in a very scary way and they go insane and cool that's fine like and then they need to figure out a way to get away yeah it's just it's kind of the wrong choice made at almost every Every juncture juncture (laughs) where you took a perfectly good premise concept great (laughs) actors great set design really everything is solid all around and yet you set the wrong temperature on the oven like it all it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> yeah you made this delicious through. delicious chocolate banana bread and like used salt for sugar or something yeah it's a bummer like and it's especially a bummer because i had sort of fond memories of this movie and was excited to see it again well i was also excited to see it again because i'd read over the years how it had become this sort of cult film where people were defending it and talking about how, oh, it's good, actually. And, uh, you know, it's just another reminder that people are wrong. All the time. All the time. It wasn't fun. Like, that's the thing is, like, you and I rewatched The Core uh, sometime during the pandemic. I, it was the first time I had ever seen The Core. You had rewatched it, right? I can't remember. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure you rewatched it. I don't think we, I was in no rush to see The Core. I don't think I had seen The Core. Really? I think we both, I don't know. Anyway, it was like on Netflix and we watched it and we're like, this is like insane, but you know, I'm kind of having a pretty good time here, the actually. Core, yeah, the core is fun because the special effects are atrocious. Yeah, bad. it's... it's And none of it makes a lick of sense. No, let me take that back. It does actually make some sense. Like, the physics of them drilling to the core makes no sense. No. You know, like, none of the science there is in any way even remotely realistic. (laughs) I'd argue the science in Event Horizon might actually be a little more I think it is better. I I think it's actually better than Ad Astra's physics. Oh, God. Ad (laughs) fucking Astra. I'm actually... I get angrier at Ad Astra than I do at Event Horizon, but maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But, like... What the core does right is its characters behave like people. Yeah, and they, they're fun. They're, they're actually fun. F- mostly fun to hang out with. They're fun people. There's a good sense of cohesion among the crew, and they talk like regular people, and they're just like you're rooting for them. Yeah. Plot points have payoffs. Yes. Characters have arcs. You know, one character sacrifices himself at the end, and he was sort of a selfish guy. And yeah, 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 yeah. Has to, you know, become not selfish. It's a it's pretty classic. Very satisfying. Trope, but yeah. it, it works. And this movie has a weird thing where Sam Neill becomes the villain, but the problem is he was never really the hero to He was start never with. part of the crew. He was always this outsider that no one really liked. Yeah, it was antagonistic from the start and sort of standoffish. And, you know, if he had either originally been part of the crew or just ingratiated himself early and was like one of the guys and everyone liked him, there are ways to have done it either way. But he starts off at sort of this haughty remove Mm -hmm. and no one seems to like him that much. So it's not a huge... There's no arc there. There's no arc and it's also not a big like uh, betrayal or anything. He was kind of an asshole before and now he's just a bigger asshole. Yeah. I think that's... No one one in this movie has a character arc. No. The only plot point that occurs that is sort of an arc is... So Lawrence Fishburne feels this tremendous guilt that he left his fellow crewmen behind during this one rescue and, you know, oh no, like I, you know, feel really bad about it. And so towards the end of the movie he doesn't leave Jolie Richardson's character behind mm. he goes back to save her and pulls pulls her out to safety but that's it if you weren't paying super close attention you probably wouldn't have noticed that but no one else in this movie gets an arc um the the woman whose son has the is in the wheelchair she hallucinates him running around the ship and then like follows him and then falls down a hole and fucking dies <laughs> like 
what? The punishment does not fit whatever crime she has committed. Well, and it's not like she abandoned the kid. Like, he's with his dad. Yeah, he's... You know? it's she fine. says at the beginning of the movie, like, oh, well, I'll get him over... The you know, summer. The summer, he's, he'll be with his dad over Christmas. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of sad. It's a bit of a bummer, but it's like not like... every child of divorce. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not a particularly huge betrayal. You're still going to see him again. It's not like, oh, I haven't seen my son in... in five years or yeah. something. And then, yeah, she just falls into a hole, which reminds me of the Mel Brooks, like, tragedy yes. when I stub my toe. <laughs> Comedy. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. Yeah. And that's how it feels. And it me. was, like, I hate to say it, but I did kind of laugh because sure. it was so exactly the, you know, fall into an open manhole thing. Yeah, very funny. I, well, and also, like, the woman with the disabled son falls down down the hole and dies. This is in the the core, the ship's core, where the gravity drive is. And again, the production design is great. It it's looks a good cool. looking. It's very metal. It looks very alien tech y. Yeah. And then Sam Neill like stumbles into the core of the ship and sees her body. And he has never shown that he gives a fuck about any of these people. Yeah. He's all about the ship and saving the ship from the get-go. He sees her body, though, and is, like, really, really upset. And Sam Neill is a good actor, so he, like, is selling the moment or trying, trying to, to. But there's nothing there. They didn't have a relationship. Well, and at this point in the movie, like, this is fairly late in the film where he's already basically turned. He, yeah, this is, like, sort of the final moment where yeah. he starts scratching, like, he's really upset about her dying, and then he sees his dead wife and starts clawing his own eyes out. I think what they were trying to do was have him see her and be reminded of his dead wife. I think that's what they were trying to mm-hmm. do. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I think uh, an easy fix for that would have been if he had seen the body, maybe she landed face down, and he had seen the body and gone over to see who it was, turned her over, and it's his dead wife, and she could even be like, hey, what's up? (laughs) Hey, what's happening? What's (laughs) happening? Uh, and then that could have led into his hallucination and he starts clawing his eyes out. That would have sold it. I guess it's better, better. Better than what happened. Because you're right. Like, I I didn't remember that scene at all. And watching it again was like, wait, why is he sad about this? Lady? Right. Has he even talked to her? They haven't spoken two words to each yeah. other, just to each other. That's the other thing that is unfortunate. They do try and do kind of like a fun crew bonding thing before they get put into these sort of gravity chambers to make the trip to Neptune. And at first I admired the efficiency where we arrive at the event horizon 20 minutes into the movie. But looking back, I think it's actually kind of a mistake to not have more with the crew. Again, it is very much reminiscent of Alien, but what Alien does so well is get a sense of camaraderie. They they feel like people, especially. They feel like real people and they're all given their character traits Mm -hmm. and personalities and then their actions are informed by those traits throughout the rest of the film. Uh, And it's just as efficient. I actually don't know the runtime difference. Like I pretty sure Alien is longer. Yeah. And normally I'm all about a tight 90. And this is a short film, which I do appreciate because it's not very good. But like, I'm okay with it going a little longer if it actually is in service to the characters, the plot, the story. It would have been good to have spent just a little bit more time getting to know who these people are, their interpersonal relationships. And then when shit goes down, I can root for or against them depending on who these people are. Yeah, Alien is about like 20 minutes longer than Event Horizon, but it uses that extra 20 minutes so well. A movie like this really lives or dies by the ensemble interplay, like making sure that your characters have relationships to each other. Something like Alien or The Thing, where it's one crew locked away Mm -hmm. by themselves and they have to work together to survive. That's a pretty classic trope. And this movie never really manages to make that work. It becomes much more about mostly just Lauren Fishburne and Sam Neill. Yeah. But the other characters are there and they are given quite a bit to do, but I just don't care about any of them. Again, there are there are the elements there. It's just the execution that's the problem. Like the guy who originally comes in contact with you know, the gravity drive opens up a gateway. This guy whose last name is Justin. Mr. Mr. Justin. Justin. And who looks like a, a kid yeah. and is called Baby Bear by the crew. That could work. That, that could, could work. 
good work and he is the first one he like goes through he the, goes to hell yeah and then gets pulled back out and is sort of catatonic until he kind of wakes up and then goes try and tries to kill himself because he's so traumatized by what he saw and experienced. It's actually a movie about trauma. It is about <laughs> trauma, which is why it's it doesn't work. What I like about space horror even as like a giant baby who is not good with psychological horror, is that space is always a metaphor. It's so metaphorical. It's so metaphorical. But in the case of this movie, they have removed all of the metaphor. It's just, no, it literally went to hell. Literal, actual hell, which is a real place, and it's full of torture. And it's like, can I get a a metaphor? Space horror was a thing at this time. Like, you had contact, which came out. I mean, that's not like horror, but like <laughs> space was a thing. You had uh, sphere, which is in the was ocean, 98. but it's a, it's a space. It is a spaceship, um, which I really liked when I was a kid. But now I'm kind of afraid to rewatch it because <laughs> I really liked Event Horizon too. It's funny you bring up contact because contact kind of suffers from an opposite problem, mm-hmm. where in Event Horizon you never actually cross over into hell. Yeah. It, pops back from having already crossed over. And then in Contact, there's this huge buildup and the whole movie is leading up to her going through the wormhole. And then she just goes to a fucking beach in Florida to hang out with her dad. That shit sucks. Too I'm much sorry. metaphor. Too, Too much, much metaphor. metaphor. It, that's what I mean. Like, Sorry, Carl Sagan. It is the opposite problem that Event Horizon has. And it's funny that both of these movies are essentially using the same scientific theory of the you know, machine creating a wormhole. And the machines even look similar mm. in both movies. There's probably some like paper or yeah, drawings or sure. something. It's interesting that they were both used to very different ends, like one for a horror movie, the other for this sort of actually exploration of trauma. Yeah. I'd say Contact is probably the better movie. No, I'm not going to say probably. Contact is the <laughs> better movie, but I didn't really like it as a kid because it is a little ponderous and slow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't rewatched it. I think I badgered my parents into letting me watch it with them and was immediately bored. It's um, not a good kid's movie. No. Maybe I was like 12 or something yeah. when by the time it came out. Um, so not, not a great age to be sitting watching this and trying to like connect with my very physics-minded dad over this. Ooh. Oh boy. <laughs> I'd be interested to rewatch Contact at some point. Maybe. It's not an action movie. It doesn't count for this podcast. No, but. no, but it was a it was a big hit and it was, it kind of had a weirdly lasting uh, cultural impact. Not as big as a lot of other movies of that era. It wasn't yeah. Apollo 13 or anything. I, I wouldn't mind watching it mm-hmm. again too. So this is the part of the, the show where we talk about um, how we wouldn't mind watching other movies <laughs> instead, instead of, of this the one, one. we watch. And interestingly, so I'll do a quick little spiel here about streaming because it we were hoodwinked once again. <sighs> Our original plan was to watch Blade. This is so embarrassing, but neither of us have seen Blade. Yeah, it's been a big sort of blind spot in my 90s action movie background. Yeah. So this seemed like a great opportunity. It's a vampire movie, so it's got horror elements. Yeah. So that works for Halloween. Neither of us had seen it, so that's kind of new because I've seen most of these and, mm-hmm. and you've seen some of them. <laughs> Look, I was very sheltered. Sure. But unfortunately, Blade was available on, I believe... I think, I swear to God, I saw it on... Or HBO. I swear to God, I saw it on HBO. No, it was. It was definitely on one of them. And then uh, the month turned and away (laughs) it went. And so we ended up with Event Horizon instead. So uh, once again, this has happened. This happened with Men in Black earlier. So buy physical media. Buy physical media. Don't buy Event Horizon. No. I don't know. Buy Blade, maybe. I don't know if it's good because we didn't get to see (laughs) it. Everyone everyone loves it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll try again. At some point, we will watch Blade, but it is not this day. This day, we fight about... No, I think we're pretty much no, on No, we're pretty much on agreement. Well, you you have a slightly differing opinion than I do, where I believe that the old school Catholic hell shit intrinsically does not belong with space sci-fi stuff. That is my opinion, and I think you disagree with that. I appreciate you setting me up for that, but actually, I do agree with you. What? Well, at first, I think... 
we weren't quite on the same page with what we were talking about. What I was saying was that I am on board with the premise of a ship going to hell uh, and to hell being a literal place. Like I'm on board with the idea of the ship creating a wormhole and going to another dimension and that dimension happens to be hell. I think that's a cool kind of B-movie premise that could be a lot of fun. I'm even on board with it being kind of gory and a little schlocky. I think where it falls apart is that it leans too heavily into it just being this weird sort of torture that the crew are doing to themselves. You never see any devils or imps or demons in any of this footage that shows up. It's just people kind of being generically tortured. Yeah. And that, to me, doesn't feel quite right. I don't know how you would do it in a way that would really make any sort of sense. They're they're just different. They're just totally opposing vibes. And I guess if you wanted to make some sort of statement about, like, the intrusion of the old world on the new or the death of modernity or something, I guess. But what exactly are you saying? Well, yeah, technology's overreach and bringing back sort of the the old gods. It's sort of Lovecraftian in its way. Yeah, There is a possibility there, but it's a hard one to pull off and you need to be very good Mm -hmm. in order to do it. And Anderson just isn't good Mm -hmm. enough to pull that off. And I, I don't know if anyone could have really done it fully successfully i think actually a video game pulls this off doom yeah oh yeah that is basically (laughs) it's just doom (laughs) i don't know how i would approach it if somebody gave me that as a prompt of like ship goes to hell everyone kind of gets tortured right i wouldn't want it to be literal torture haunted ship is fine right Hell ship is different. And I love what you said earlier about hell is, you know, what you bring yourself. Yeah. Haunting of Hill House being a great example of the house reveals your own demons to you. It is not actually creating the demons. It's not creating the horror. No. It is allowing you to see it for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. That's great. Like, that's a, a pretty tried and true formula. And that is... A good idea in Event Horizon, but like none of it is executed well because none of the things that they're afraid of seem particularly scary. Her son has some bum legs and that's sad, right. but then he's also running around. So does he have? That's just the hallucination. I guess no, she's, I mean, I know, but she, like, I guess she's just like envisioning him. Like, I don't know. Was she responsible for his condition? Know. We right. don't even really know what the condition is. Right. Like, is it just, you know, if it's like cerebral palsy or something like that's not your fault. I right. don't know. I mean, all the, well, what's weird is like that shot of him. Of on, his legs, Of his though. legs, and but, they're all like leprous. Like, yeah, it looks like but, that, like, but that looks like the flesh-eating bacteria, yeah. which he's not going to survive. No. But that's not indicated in the video of him that she's watching. And maybe that's something that was part of Anderson's cut. Um, right. So I guess, you know, you can't harp too hard because maybe he did have sort of a different kind of scary thing for each person. But like Cooper doesn't have anything he's afraid of, right? We never see. We what don't he's really see of. anything or, there. Or Jason or, Isaacs. Or uh, Sean Pertwee. Even Stark, she doesn't get No, anything. it's very selective. Uh, very selective, and maybe that's part of what got cut. Oh, maybe they theirs were just so violent and gory and gross. Yeah. I think I would still lean on the psychological elements, which ultimately you, are, you and I are in agreement. What makes space horror scary is the unknown, the dark, the, the, void. the void. And you are sort of free to conjure up your own demons. Mm-hmm. It's the same principle that makes ocean horror good when it's done well. Yeah. Is it, You know, the ocean is very similar to space, except we know there's monsters in the ocean right. for sure. I remember I was in Maui. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> having a pretty, pretty weird time. So I was in the ocean and just kind of floating and realized, oh my God, there's like thousands of miles between where I am and other land. It is just, you know, west of here, it's just nothing for thousands and thousands of miles. That was actually like a really terrifying moment for me. I respect the ocean. I I love swimming and being in the water, but that's kind of, oh, Jesus Christ, if something happened and I was swept out to sea and it's the same principle in space, uh, except worse, which is one thing that like gravity, I think did really well. I have a terrible confession. I never saw gravity. Oh, really? 
I didn't get to see it in the theaters. Oh, and there's no point. There's no point. It's surprisingly difficult to really get across how big space is, how empty it is. Mm -hmm. And by the nature of filmmaking, it's hard to do that in a way that is compelling without it just being somebody drifting through space forever. Which is the most terrifying thing about space. (laughs) I don't know. It seems peaceful to me. (laughs) But there is (laughs) is a lot of scary stuff. The core concept of space is scary. Mm -hmm. And Event Horizon is kind of too claustrophobic, too... Too earthbound almost. Yeah, like there's too much gravity. The ship is too... Grounded, honestly. Weirdly. Like that doesn't make any... (laughs) But it is. It's too grounded. It's too, you know... People aren't floating too often. The images of the horror are very earthly. A couple of years before Event Horizon, Apollo 13 came out, which I think we should watch for this podcast at yeah, some point. Yeah, if we've done if we've done Event Horizon now. Well, we Apollo can... 13 isn't a horror film. It's an action movie. It, is it like action action? There are some pretty big action Yeah, elements. that's it's true. It's very tense. That's another one I haven't seen in years. I love it. I haven't actually we ever seen on, Apollo 13. So we had it on VHS, and I think it's Ron Howard's best movie. A lot of fun. Great, great actors all around. Yeah. What makes it so tense is, oddly, there is a bit of horror in it, in that they are constantly at risk of death by yeah. space. Yeah. You know, they're in this little capsule that's malfunctioning and things keep going wrong and it keeps building up and getting worse and they have to keep kind of jerry-rigging things mm-hmm. together to survive. And that is what makes it such a tense, exciting film. And this one, there's all this danger and yet you never really feel like it, they're going to get sucked out into space or anything. Like, yeah. it's this kind of... It is a haunted house in that it feels like a house. It yes. doesn't feel like a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Again, it looks kind of like the alien sets in some points, but they kind of abandon that fairly early yeah. on and it just becomes this big set. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer because like the original point of this podcast was to talk about the movies that we loved and to just sort of shower praise on them. And we've sort of run into one that is just, it doesn't work. You know what though? I think that's okay. As long as it's not every movie, like we don't want to to turn this into just shitting on bad movies. No. There's plenty of podcasts that do that. But I think every now and then if we revisit a movie that we loved as a kid and it turns out to not be as good or something, that's fine. Even if it's not bad, but just has some elements that aren't as good. Yeah, kind of like Air Force One had the right. weird politics. Weird politics and, you know, just sort of a a, a meh of a movie. Not, not terrible yeah. by any stretch, but just... Not the not the classic. Not, but not the stone cold classic. No. And Event Horizon definitely isn't a stone cold classic. Nor a cult classic. Nor I cult will not classic. have that title besmirched by this movie. This like waste of Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill and Jason Isaacs. This speaks to the nature of internet criticism and commentary where there's this knee jerk uh, reaction to want to fix the wrongs of the past and like do a cultural reevaluation and that can be great. It's good to reevaluate yeah. things and there are lots of things that have been reevaluated and rightly so. You know, showgirls sort of like yeah. some of Verhoeven stuff. That's all well and good, but every now and then it's better to just admit like <laughs> it was bad at the time and it's bad now. We were right. <laughs> yeah, sort of like the the prequels, like they're not actually good guys. The you Star Wars prequels are not good and uh, People who say it's it's kind of like Event Horizon, honestly, where there's like elements that are there that are genuinely good. Like the idea of showing exactly how space fascism happened is not a bad one by any means. It's just the execution is fucking dreadful. It all comes down to the execution and it shows the importance of needing a good director. With With that, I feel like we've probably come to a natural end. Yeah, we've kind of covered everything we can here. I'll wrap up by saying Event Horizon is the rare movie I wouldn't actually mind seeing remade. Normally I'm against remakes. Yeah, actually. Uh, You know, uh, re-envisionings, reimaginings, whatever you want to call it. Normally I don't want that, but I love the premise and I'm going to stick by that of Spaceship Goes to Hell. I think that's fun. I would love to see a competent, talented director and crew tackle that premise. I do agree, though I refute, no hell for me. (laughs) No thanks. Uh, Just haunted spaceship. I'm down. I'm down to 
clown. Well, I'm open to interpretation. You know, it yeah. doesn't have to be a, a very strict, literal hell. I'm saying like it goes somewhere, brings something evil back with it. However you want to interpret that, I'd love to see it. Well, maybe I'll start working on that right now. Great. Please do. Okay. Get on that. And I think that basically wraps it up. So next time you hear from us, we'll have written Event Horizon 2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) Event Horizon 2, it's better, we promise. Until next time, thanks for listening.